You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. It's Naomi here. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast, where I speak to creatives and founders about their purpose and how they navigate living on their own terms. In this episode, I sit down with the incredible Vanessa Griffiths. And one thing I'll say before you listen and dive into this week's episode is that Vanessa has created many uh, distinct opportunities for greater learning and growth by essentially saying yes, putting her hand up, and then figuring out all the details later. So hope you enjoy this week's episode. Marketing 101 is like, who is your customer? Build a brand or a customer profile, right? And Mm -hmm. that's step one. Step two is understanding their problems and their pain points. And typically, like in my opinion, I'll say, is like good businesses come out of solving those pain points. Um, And where I like to take it a step further is how do we show empathy for the person whose problem you're solving? And that's usually where I start with telling a story um, Mm -hmm. or helping people develop their story. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. Thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to chat with uh, Vanessa Griffiths today. Vanessa, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So a little bit of context for the audience. Vanessa is the co-founder of Gift Better Co., which is a corporate gifting service that empowers businesses to build and really strengthen relationships while fueling social impact. Vanessa graduated from Carleton University's Communication Studies program in Ottawa and soon after moved to Toronto to delve further into the marketing world. Vanessa has worked in many different industries from tech to beauty to music and has led digital marketing campaigns for global brands, leading artists, and high growth tech startups. Currently, uh, Vanessa runs Gift Better Co. with Olivia, her co-founder, and is also a content and digital marketing specialist at a nonprofit organization here in Ottawa. Vanessa has, interestingly enough, um, guest lectured at the City University of New York, University of Ottawa, and at conferences abroad as well. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about Tokyo and what it was like being there. And then on your website, you talk a little bit about your passion for helping brands and entrepreneurs use technology to storytell and build communities. Thank you for having me and thank you for that introduction. You're yes. <laughs> that was awesome. We need, to, we need to set the context so people know why they should listen. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, a little bit more context on your story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm from Ottawa. I was born and raised in Ottawa. And as a kid, I was very energetic and very curious. And that translated into me being pretty athletic. My mom would let me, thankfully, let me register for pretty much any sport that I wanted. So if I saw a movie about karate, the next <laughs> week I was in a karate class. And... I ended up kind of loving gymnastics the most, so I stayed in that the longest. But again, I was always trying different things while growing up, and I think that that shaped a lot of my career choices later on, which we'll get to. Um, I went to Carleton, like you mentioned, for communication studies, and I very much, like most people my age, I'm 28, um, I grew up on the internet in some capacity. So when I was a kid, it was like Neopets, and then MSN Messenger, and then Tumblr, And here we are today, which is, you know, everywhere. Um, But that very much shaped me as well and kind of shaped my career, I think, because I was always obsessed with media and I was always on the computer. So those two things kind of came together and was just like a natural, I don't even think it was a choice necessarily. I just always kind of was drawn into those kind of positions. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. how my career has gone on so far. So when you finished school, did you pick up work on different projects, you know, sort of network in that environment? What was it like transitioning um, out of school yeah. and into the working world? So my first job out of school actually had nothing to do with anything that I was interested in. I worked at an insurance agency, like a call center for an insurance agency, which I don't recommend unless you love insurance. But while I was in school, even I was doing a lot of internships for different like music blogs or for publishing companies, helping them do a social strategy for upcoming releases. And that was back when, like while I was in university, especially social media was kind of still new territory and people 
didn't really understand how it could be used for business yet. So, and neither did I, to be honest. I just happened to be like a younger person who was willing right. to say that I, you know, like I knew how to work all these platforms at least. So that was my in with those places. So I did a few kind of internships, unofficial internships. Um, I really just would reach out to any connections that I had and ask them if yeah. they wanted help, you know, developing a Twitter account or whatever it was. So when I graduated from from Carleton, I knew that I wanted to move to Toronto just because of the opportunities mm -hmm. there. At the time in Ottawa, at least from my perspective, and this is without me doing a ton of research, I'm sure I could have stayed in Ottawa and done fine and saved a lot of money, but I moved to Toronto because I there weren't a ton of opportunities that were outside of the government in my head. So I moved there with the intention of getting as much experience as I could because I knew that I had so, so much to learn. And I still worked full-time at the insurance agency while kind of trying to pursue other interests. And the beautiful thing about moving out there was that there was always something happening. So there was a ton of networking events that I could go to in whatever it was that I was interested in, which happened to be many things. Yeah. Um, so I got out there and met as many people as I could and kind of let things progress from there. And then I also did an internship for a beauty company while I was there. So I started as a PR intern for a natural beauty company. And that was kind of my first real marketing position after school and it was still an unpaid internship yeah that's so cool and then i got I think, fired from, okay, my well, from my insurance job but we'll get interesting, there interesting interesting yes it's we we haven't met in person at all like i don't we don't know each other that well but what from what i've read of, about your story it seems that you have this willingness to put your hand up for opportunities and then also you know, just reach out to people, build relationships, put yourself out there. And I think Toronto is an interesting place. What you mentioned, there's a community for everything that you're looking for. And so it's really interesting to see how you've been able to sort of use your skills to get into different rooms as well. I'd love, love to delve into the storytelling aspect of it and mm -hmm. how exactly you were helping brands to tell their story online in a way that actually resonates with their audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, always loved write, like creative writing. That was kind of what I was most passionate about, at least leaving high school. By the time I got to university, I think from all the communications essays I wrote, I was like burnt out on actual like writing essays and things like that, which is what I loved. But I always also had a really deep interest in marketing and advertising just because I was so curious about the people who like put these campaigns together. Yeah. I'm sure that if like you think about it for a couple seconds, you can think of like a campaign that just like got you. You're like, oh, that was like written for me, basically. That kind of stuff. I was like, who is writing these? And that, mm -hmm. that was really what fueled my interest in marketing in the first place. I was like, I want to be the person who's writing this stuff that's or, you know, putting things together or tapping into whichever influencer to kind of make a stranger feel something like that was so cool to me. So when it came down to starting out in my career, I was really story driven, again, because of my background in writing, but also because I was like, to me, that was the core of a brand. And it turns out that I was kind of right about that, but trying to communicate to people, um, selling them a product is one thing, but really selling them on what, a, what your brand is about or what your products mm -hmm. are about and what you stand for there's a much bigger return on investment of both time and money if you can really get people to attach to your story. So that's kind of how I've progressed throughout my career is with like a story first mentality and mm -hmm. tapping really, trying really to hone in on the why of a company. I've never been one great at following arbitrary rules or um, like buying things for the sake of buying things like I always am questioning why would I do that or why should I do that or what is this doing for me or for somebody else or whatever um, okay. so I always keep that in mind when I'm shaping things or doing work is like really trying to communicate that story for other people. What you mentioned earlier about reading something and really feeling like it was meant for you. There's so much research that goes on in the back end. And I think when it comes to marketing, I'm not in the space at all, but great marketing and great storytelling definitely does stand out. And as someone, you know, personally who loves great stories, when marketers can do it really well, it it's just in a league of its own. And so what are some of the what are some of the things that you've learned 
And you can even talk about building Gift Better Co. and what it was like coming up with a brand story or, you know, an origin story for your company as well, because it de- it is definitely mission focused and mission first. For sure. Gift Better Co. started from a problem. Both Olivia and I were trying to send a gift to one of our friends who lived in LA. And we, first of all, this friend like had everything essentially. So we didn't really know what to buy her in the first place, but also trying to send a gift box to her was a nightmare because everything was either alcohol, which we were like, kind of, we were just like, that's not cute. Like it's, it's nice to get that, but we like wanted something a little bit more meaningful and we couldn't really find anything other than those wicker kind of stale looking gift baskets with like nuts in them and stuff like that so we started snacks um, oh geez (laughs) (laughs) you know exactly what I'm talking about yeah so we kind of started venting one day about the lack of good options if we wanted to send something to another millennial like there's not much there and then the the rant progressed for me at least because at the time I was working as a marketing manager at a tech startup And I was in charge of all the corporate gifting. And Mm -hmm. when I was trying to uh, organize all these gifts, logistically it was terrible, but also I felt horrible (laughs) because oftentimes I would be given a budget and a list of names and like I would just have to allocate set budget to whatever name and send the gift. Didn't really matter what it was Mm -hmm. to the company. And I just felt icky about it because I was like, I'm just paying to send a box of junk kind of to another person and like what are they going to do with this those were the seeds that started planting this idea of a better um, and more meaningful way to do gifting and then on top of that a lot of the people who i was gifting to with the company would often say just donate to charity instead of giving me a gift because they just didn't Mm -hmm. want the junk which is totally fair and the company was happy to to donate of course but we're not thrilled because they missed out on the opportunity to give a physical gift to somebody. So the actual brand exchange wasn't there. And that's kind of where the idea for gift better came from. So we kind of paired the corporate social responsibility aspect um, with the corporate gifting. So each of our gifts has a charitable impact. So some of our boxes like plant five trees or vaccinate an animal or help a youth in crisis, like things like that. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of our way of kind of having impact just with each gift. So it's already not something that's wasted. Every Mm -hmm. purchase that's made is doing good. And also we, our goal as we're curating gifts is to like put things in there that people might actually want. So like no dust collectors is kind of a thing that Liv and I say all the time as we're sourcing gifts. It's like, "Mm, would this end up in a junk drawer? If it would, (laughs) then we just pass on it. And as far as like the storytelling, I mean, that is our story. And Mm -hmm. we've, because it's such a problem, it was such a problem. It's really easy for us to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I'm working with clients, sometimes it's not as obvious. The story that comes or that should be coming forward isn't necessarily as easy as like stating the problem. But that's kind of where I, like marketing 101 is who is your customer, build a brand or a customer profile, right? And Mm -hmm. that's step one. Step two is understanding their problems and their pain points. And typically like in uh, my opinion, I'll say, is like good businesses come out of solving those pain points. And where I like to take it a step further is how do we show empathy for the person whose problem you're solving? And that's usually where I start with telling a story um, Mm -hmm. or helping people develop their story. Mm -hmm. I was was really intrigued of how you got into corporate gifting. And it was just essentially you being in your in your role and being handed this thing to do and you're like okay there's no solution that actually makes sense for who we're trying to gift i didn't realize how large the industry was it's yeah. massive it's um huge. yeah and so there and there are a few companies that i think that are out there that i was able to to find but i think you definitely have this unique twist of really understanding what the why is and giving people an opportunity to also impact the community, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, what did you end up doing for your friend that was in, in California? And is that also a part of your business where it's not just for largest clients, but also to people 
that are in our family or our yeah. loved ones? So we have um, kind of two channels that people can buy through. One is our e-commerce store, and that's for people who are sending the one gift to their friend, for example. That was not really the focus of our business originally. We always intended to go after people who were doing like client gifting or gifting mm-hmm. for um, employees and things like that. But with COVID, so many people were missing out on different events and not being able to see their friends to actually hand them birthday presents and things like that. So the e-commerce channel really served a lot of people in that capacity. So people can buy just one-off gifts online. And yeah, that's our second place to buy. It's giftbetter.co. Yeah, beautiful website, by the way. And um, it was interesting earlier this week. So the company has only been around for a year. And I, fe- I feel like you you both really hit the ground running in, especially around COVID, you know, you had during nurses, was it National Nurses Week in May? You mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly you did and what it was like bringing that project to life? Sure, yeah. So with COVID happening like three or four months into us starting our business, we were kind of like, what do we do? It was like a weird time. I'm sure any business owner will tell you that it was a really weird time to try to sell anything. For us, especially, it was hard because most of the our like target customers, these big companies, had put spending freezes on all like like excessive spending. So things like corporate gifts were the first thing off the list. Do not spend money on those. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to just we were like, okay, let's recalibrate a little bit. People are still looking for ways to gift people who they're not able to see anymore. So we do have that and we'll keep the online store open, of course. But also we were like, because impact is kind of our mission in general, we were like, who who could like benefit from a gift right now? Mm -hmm. And where is the most need as far as charitable impact? And we had run a campaign in January or February um, to benefit the Australian wildfires. So we had done it before where we created curated a gift and 100% of the proceeds just went toward that charity. And that did really well. And with National Nurses Week coming up, it was in April, like the last week of April, I believe, we saw an opportunity there to give people the opportunity to one, thank a frontline worker, and two, for us to give back to the Ottawa Hospital Foundation's COVID relief fund. So that's what we did. We launched it really quickly. I think we kind of like made that decision and turned it around within a week and a half or two weeks. And Um, then it did really well. We ended up selling over a hundred boxes, I believe. So quite a bit of money got donated to the Ottawa Hospital Foundation's COVID relief fund. And more importantly, over a hundred frontline workers got these cute little gifts and thank you emails that we got as a result of those were amazing. I'm so that kind of opened our eyes and like every time we do a campaign like that, getting the feedback is what drives us to keep going. So that's Mm -hmm. always really nice. And then since then, um, we've done other kind of give back campaigns is what we call them when we donate 100% of the proceeds. But we did one during Father's Day, we did a week where 100% of the proceeds of our Father's Day gifts went to bail relief funds for Black Lives Matter. Most recently, we did a give back program for Hope Cornerstone, so people could buy gifts and actually just send them. Well, we did a delivery to the Cornerstone Women's Shelter for the holidays. Mm -hmm. I did see that. Fantastic ideas. And a lot of these organizations are local too. And so I think the importance of really strengthening the ties that you have within your own communities is is really powerful. And I just want to say thank you for doing that. Um, oh, thank you. It's huge, huge way to huge way to make an impact. And I'm can only imagine the, you know, the notes that you received after. Hey there, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend, take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Vanessa, if we can dive a little bit deeper into sort of, you know, you talked a little bit about what it was like transitioning out of school and, you know, finding these opportunities, whether it was in in beauty or the publishing industry. Can you talk a little bit about how you make career decisions now? Like, has it evolved at all? And how do you approach skill building? How do you approach Mm -hmm. being a better storyteller? Yeah. So my, I've always kind of, before I knew what it was, 
I always was very okay with leaving a job if I didn't love it. And I know that sometimes a job is just a job, but there, I've always had these kind of different metrics that I was constantly met thinking about, whether it was like, how long is the commute? Does it pay well? Do I like the people that I work with? Is there room for adv advancement? Am I getting, am I acquiring new skills that I know will be useful later? Is the company mission like aligned with my values? Things like that. And when I finished school and moved to Toronto, like I said, I just knew that I needed experience. It was not, I was not like being super choosy. I had an idea, like I love music and I wanted to work to do something in the music industry or in like B2B. I just really liked consumer marketing or thought I did. So I, those were my hunches. Um, and aside from that, I had no, like the bar was essentially on the ground as far as like what I would do for experience. It didn't matter. And I think that that kind of benefited me a lot because I learned so much and I learned so many things. But then there were times throughout my career, like say two years after school, um, after I was done school or like three years into my career, where I would get really self-conscious about the fact that I wasn't like a specialist in anything because mm -hmm. I had such a diverse range of experience in different industries but also in different like realms of marketing I guess I, I would kind of get insecure about that from time to time and be like I think I need to choose one thing and just do that for at least a while because my resume looks terrible or whatever it was I kind of just would get a little insecure but ultimately it really benefited me honestly um I think I had an interview the first tech startup that I had an interview at, the person who was interviewing me said, you know, you're the kind of person that we need as somebody who will jump into anything. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. And I was like the sigh of relief, like the weight off my shoulders. And that kind of honestly gave me permission to continue experimenting. So mm -hmm. even when that was my first like real marketing role in um, paid in a company and it was a tech startup which was really exciting even though i was doing that and you know gaining all new skills that way i was still doing side hustles because i just wanted to make sure that i wasn't leaving anything on the table as far as opportunities but i would say that my overall my mindset a lot has shifted a lot from being like you know how people talk about scarcity versus abundance mindsets yeah i was like that with my skill set and my career path i think i went from being really like i can't pass up these opportunities because I don't have enough skills. Like who am I to turn down these things? Right. Mm. So whereas now I'm like, what do I actually bring to this role when I'm considering different things? I'm like, what do I actually bring to this? Do I have enough time and energy to give it my all? And that's kind of my metric now. And still all those other things, like, does it align with my priorities? Does it, you know, pay me well enough to be motivated? Cause that's honestly a thing sometimes. Do I like the people that I work with, et cetera? Like those are still metrics, but it's more like, what can I bring to the role and does it fulfill me as opposed to I need to do this because I need to know if I like it and I need the skill or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, I would say that's the biggest shift. That's really interesting. It's cool that you brought both those mindsets up as well. Cause I think even in that scarcity frame, it's almost like these roles won't be available. Like if I say no to one thing, it'll disappear and never exactly. <laughs> reappear. And that's really exactly. interesting. What, those metrics that you mentioned, like when you were on the bus, for example, and they would go through your head. Um, <laughs> it's so cool because it kind of reminds me of the process of going through the interview um, experience. And I think sometimes when people graduate and are open to taking any role, it's less about me interviewing the company and more about putting your best foot forward and making sure that you're hired no matter what. So when you are, you know, working for companies now, what are some of your non-negotiables, I would say? Oh, it's really interesting because the company that I work for now is awesome. And they kind of bend a few of them. Because I was looking for something, it sh like my mindset kind of shifted again once I started Gift Better because I really love Gift Better. And so the priority of it being like, having like a super fulfilling nine to five, for example, kind of shifted down a little bit because I had this other thing that I really right. cared about. And it wasn't like I was wearing myself out trying to acquire new skills outside of my nine to five. It was like, I'm building something that I'm really passionate out, about outside of my nine to five. So the nine to five, while I still get to learn and grow there, it wasn't like 
crucial that it was something that I could see myself in long term. I hope my boss never watches this. Something that I could see myself in like long term um, or that I was like super passionate about. But it happens to align really well with kind of where I'm at. Um, it's really techie, which is a good challenge. It's super I, technology focused. Yeah, I was reading techie. the website and I was like, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very tech driven. Um, so it's challenging, which is important to me because one thing I cannot be is bored in a role. A bored Vanessa is not something that anybody <laughs> wants to deal with. I'm so annoying. I guess that's like my biggest non-negotiable is like, is it challenging? As well as still, like, I don't want to drive really far for a job and I like where I live. Um, I, I was spoiled and working remotely for the last yeah. like three years, I would say. So when... And then COVID happened. So I ended up working remotely for this company as well. But yeah, like a commute is something that I'm pretty stiff on. Like I just won't apply for jobs if they're too far outside of my like radius. And then also the, the team is like, I, yeah, the interview process was really long with my current role. And it was good because I did get to know the team in different capacities while throughout the process. I like them. And also they seem to like work well together, which is really important yeah. to me. There's not a ton of ego which is really important to me as well. Coming from the startup world, you tend to be exposed to really close-knit teams, which is amazing, but you also get to tend to be really exposed to like people's personalities and ego comes along with that, especially in a startup where your impact can be felt whether it's positive or negative. So being like it made me really sensitive to energy and that's something that's really important for me just for getting work done and like if I have to talk to you every day hopefully you have a good attitude and now that I have a baby I guess work-life balance is really important that was something that was kind of like honestly dead last before I never really thought about it and I was always on go but now it's something that I have to think about because it's bigger than just me mm -hmm. yeah and you talked about this being the longest break that you've had a break. It's not really a break because you're taking care of a human life. Yeah, um, yeah. But but before, you know, you had this go, go, go type spirit. And can you talk a little bit about what that was like as well when it came to being willing to go where the opportunities are and how that really opened doors for you even, let's say, today? Yeah, absolutely. So just like I've never been shy about like pivoting in a role or pivoting away from a company if I needed to, if I, if I felt the need to, if it wasn't like moving me forward. Um, I've always been really, really comfortable, but I've also really thrived in situations where like I had to kind of jump in, jump in feet first. Head first? Is it feet first? Head first? Cannonball in, we'll say. <laughs> I like... And I love that. I've, yeah. I'm like kind of an adrenaline junkie as far as, I think it comes from me being an athlete, but I like love feeling the pressure to perform. <laughs> and mm. so I think my history as an athlete kind of conditioned me to like be okay with that and find kind of peace in those moments. And so stage fright is not really a thing for me. I'm like the first person to raise my hand to speak somewhere just because I like to, honestly. And um, that served me really well. It's helped me get meetings with people who I've dreamed of working with just because I've, I've made connections with people with the goal of tapping into a network that might lead me to somebody else. I've been able to travel. I, I got to go to Japan to speak at a marketing conference, which was insane because I just said, yeah, sure, I'll do that right. <laughs> uh, when it was asked. And it serves me really well as far as like cool stories and interesting people that I meet, but also just in the day-to-day, -day, like living my life. I think that there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't do if I wasn't so comfortable just like saying yes and then figuring it out later. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. something that you hear a lot from people of this, you can, you will figure it out later. And, you know, for you, was that something that you had to nurture? You mentioned, you know, it could come from you being an athlete and being like that as a kid um, but for, may not necessarily be that comfortable uh, doing that what would you recommend if anything uh, I would say just do it like I know that that's so simplistic but for me at least it really helps when there's outside pressure so like sign yourself up for something where you know you're gonna have to get up in front of people or like have mm -hmm. some kind of Put yourself, in, put yourself in position where you have accountability to someone or something else. Because the, if you do it the first couple times where it's like, I can't not do it now, it's too late. Um, eventually, you'll probably get into just doing it because you realize it's not that bad. 
whatever mm-hmm. it is. But like for me, one thing that I'm horrible at, like horrible at is sales. And I know this as a business owner, marketing, I'm never really talking directly to people, but I've had sales jobs. Like when I was in insurance, I worked at a call center and the whole goal of the call is to get somebody to sign up for an insurance policy. I would like talk to the person. We'd have a great chat, 30 minutes, give them the quote. And then I'd be like, so this is your price. Da, da, da. They'd say, no, I'd be like, all right, bye. <laughs> and then just hang up. <laughs> because I never wanted to like um, try to overcome their nose. I was horrible at sales and I'm still very much like that. But now because I have a business partner who, well, she does the sales more, but because I have a business partner who I'm, you know, we have a company to run and there's the growth of the company depends on sales coming in. I have to get a little bit better at it. And so I kind of force myself and that's, that's actually a good one. That's something that I do not cannonball into. I'm still very like shy and reserved when it comes to selling because I feel weird about it, but yeah, I guess just practicing and doing it with um, a fire under your butt is always helpful. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So you did briefly talk about uh, Japan and put your putting your hand up for that opportunity. I had never heard of this market marketing nation, I guess it's called. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like, especially when it comes to being in a profession and then also experiencing others who are in this profession in a different country completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe kind of like segue into what you see the future of content marketing looking like. Yeah. Um, So I, at the time I was working for a marketing automation consulting agency uh, here in Ottawa. It was remote, but it's based here in Ottawa. And the company actually, the founder had two companies and I was working for both. One is an email marketing platform and one is the consulting agency. So I was deep in the world of marketing automation and email marketing specifically. And because I was doing their marketing, I was the marketing manager for both. I was doing a lot of like brand development And so I was spending a lot of time tapping into the pain points of our customers, kind of really understanding their problems. And again, going with like kind of my uh, process for, for brand building, I guess, is like trying to be, trying to show empathy for the customers who we're serving. So one day in Slack, my boss, who is the founder of the company, said that they got a booth at Marketing Nation, which... Marketing Nation, just so that you know, Marketo is a marketing automation software which powers email for some of the world's biggest companies. It's like a really powerful marketing automation platform, like MailChimp, for example, except for like huge businesses. So Mm -hmm. if you're sending out emails to say like 300,000 people, you're going to want to use Marketo versus MailChimp. Some people probably use MailChimp, but like that's kind of what it's more for is like business to business. And large enterprises. So that's what we are consulting in. So they have a really big marketing community, as you can imagine. So there's Marketo user groups here in Ottawa and all over the world of different kind of communities, like regional communities that Mm -hmm. um, do like monthly or quarterly meetups and just talk about different things within Marketo. But in Japan, they kind of save all of those for once or twice a year. And that's, it's a big conference. It's a two days and it's like eight hours long each day wow. with like different speakers and like power users in Marketo or different vendors who like integrate with Marketo kind of do their like little spiel about their business. And so that's what I was sent to Japan to do. It was really interesting. I, so again, one day in Slack, my boss was like, Hey, we have this opportunity to do this. Does anybody want to do it? I said, sure. Immediately. And somebody else said, sure, as well. And both of us equally qualified to do the the talk. Me, because I like to talk and because I had been developing the story so much. And the other person was a developer. So he was literally building the the platform. So he could talk about it all day as well. And my boss is like, there's only one way to settle this. Rock, paper, scissors. And that's what we (laughs) did. Um, The next time we were in the office together, I won rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) And so the next week I was on a flight to Japan to do this talk. And I had told the story so many times, like in different drafts in Google Docs, I had to then kind of pare it down a lot to fit into like a three minute talk, let's say. And then I had to make it more culturally appropriate for a Japanese audience because I had a translator. I think there's about 400 people there. I had a translator so that he could translate it into um, Japanese, of course. 
but then I also had to, like I said, culturally appropriate as far as like the storytelling is not the same, like especially in the language of business, it's a lot different there. So I had to adapt that as well. But the experience itself was really cool. I got to, like I said, talk on stage for the four minutes or whatever it was to the audience. But then I was also standing at the booth and doing demos to an audience who didn't really speak English. Um, so people would come up and kind of, we would we would communicate as much as we could and I would tell them about the platform, which a lot of people did have a pretty good understanding of English, but, um, and then I would demo the product. And there's still people that I keep in touch with that I met there. It was a really, really cool experience. And especially going there by myself. I had never traveled that far alone. Um, and I was only there for like four days. So I didn't really have time to beat jet lag. I was just a zombie the whole time. But yeah, it was a really, really great experience. And I'm so thankful that I, one, said yes in Slack and two, one at Rock, Paper, Scissors because it easily could not have happened. <laughs> um, that's, that was Marketing Nation. And then you asked uh-huh. about the future of content marketing. Yeah. So I, I think my like position as a, or my role as a marketer is a really interesting one because as much as I'm really brand focused and I love the storytelling aspect of it, because I have such a background in tech and the automation side, it's kind of a perfect marriage, but I also know like quite a bit about both sides. So on the storytelling side, like things are evolving and I think that people are expecting more and more out of the brands that they engage with as far as like just being humans. That's always been, that's, I I say that so many times at work is like, we're still talking to people regardless of whether that person we're trying to sell like a marketer, a bunch of software or an executive, like this service at the end of the day, B2B or B2C, you're still marketing to people. Let's Mm -hmm. talk to people as people first. And then from a brand position, like as people become more aware of what's going on culturally and globally, it's like, how do you show your humanness as a brand? Um, That's really important too. So that's always an an avenue that I'm looking to explore with whoever it is that I work with. And it gets really interesting because it's like, you can't just say things anymore. People are getting really good at understanding within the last year, especially it's been a really interesting time of like, people are really quick to sniff out when brands are just saying something to, because they feel the pressure to say something. And it's Mm -hmm. like, how are you actually living that? Or how are you implementing that within your company? So that's kind of one side of things I think is really just being an authentic brand and drilling down on what it is you stand for and making sure that it's, it's real. (laughs) And I think that there's really no way around it. It's just like, if you do that, just be about whatever it is that you decide to talk about. Mm-hmm. as raw as I can that's like the, the simplest version I can do and then as far as like the other side the tech side of things there's a lot of rules around data privacy regulations around who you can contact and when and how many times and etc are always changing and it's getting harder and harder for marketers to like land in the inbox of somebody which is like a good thing for the consumer I think like in general, how many, it's so annoying to get spam emails, but it's getting harder and harder. And the metrics have to change because it's getting more difficult. Like from the B2B side, at least, especially if I'm sending an email to a hundred thousand people, uh, say it's like financial advisors, for example, 35 or 40 or 50% of the companies that I'm sending to could just have an automatic program that opens every email and clicks all the links on an email to check if they're spam or not. So as a marketer who's usually looking for open rates and click-through rates, what am I measuring now if bots are just doing all that, right? So that's always shifting and evolving. And I really like to stay on top of that as far as like the latest in what's happening there. And it's always changing. And it's, it's just a matter of really communicating that to whoever it is that is above you on the marketing team and kind of constantly constantly re like reevaluating what it is that matters to you as a marketing team and what your metrics of success are so that's kind of a an interesting challenge that I'm always paying attention to and then of course again the authenticity side on the content um marketing side of things there's a lot going on 
in the marketing there is a lot world. going on. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even I think people who aren't necessarily in, in the industry think that marketing is one thing and oh, it definitely yes. isn't. And you know, you're in the content space. Can you talk a little, like, can you give us a, we don't have too much time, but a brief yeah. overview of what those other aspects of marketing are. Yeah. So especially like if you're in a startup or if you're a consultant, marketing, good marketers make it seem like marketing is really easy. And I think that that's sometimes to their detriment because people who aren't in marketing often tend to think that it's like, just whip it up, just make it, make it happen, you know? But a lot of the times when you see these great campaigns, especially from startups, there's usually one or two people who are creating all the emails, doing all the branding imaging, writing the copy, editing the copy. And then of course, like, you know, however the, the automation is structured on the back end, there's a lot that goes into it. So for me, for Gift Better, we have a marketing intern sometimes who does like blog copy, but as far as like the editorial calendar, that's me. Olivia, my business partner and I kind of work on Instagram story stuff together and social media in general, but then like structuring all of our automation and our emails, that's me. And then, oh, there's so much that goes into marketing. The research side of things is really huge. And that's stuff that nobody really sees. It's just like for us to know, um, we're constantly kind of testing these different assumptions as we try to learn more about our ideal customer and like to really hone in on our ideal customer. That's a Mm -hmm. really big priority for us going into Q1 of next year is to really drill down on like who we want to spend time trying to get in contact with. Because there are so many people that we could reach out to. It's just like, who is the best to focus on for us? So yeah, marketers, I feel you out there. Um, <laughs> and if you work for a startup in marketing, honestly, it's such a good experience because you get to do a little bit of everything. And okay. if you do ever want to like drill down and kind of specialize, whether that's in lead generation or content creation or email marketing, it's great to have the background for all of them. But you can either stay a generalist forever, which a lot of people tend to do, or you can specialize in one thing, which I haven't done yet, but yeah, it's definitely there. There's, there's so many options within marketing. I feel like sometimes that those different kind of verticals are all careers on their own. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And most of them, I don't know anything about. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It makes me so happy to hear your intentionality and focus around understanding who that one person is. And I Mm -hmm. think even in, it's so interesting, even in developing this podcast, there's there are a lot of analytics in the background that I look at to really tailor, you know, the guests, the questions asked, um, what they would be interested in. And I think it's so much even easier to sort of develop something when you do, when you're almost speaking to one person and you have yeah. a name and you kind of know what they do on their, in their free time and all of those, all of that yeah. good stuff. And so kudos to you for, for doing that work and doing the research and storytelling in a way that feels good. I think at the end of the day, mm-hmm. before we wrap up there, I was listening to an episode with Seth Godin and Seth Godin is a really interesting person in this space. <laughs> I love him. Touch your heart as if like, as if, You probably do know him, right? No. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I wish. One of my first, the first marketing conference that I ever went to though, he spoke at. And Mm -hmm. that was like, I didn't know who he was at the time. And so he was there speaking. And then I bought, I want to say it was Tribes. I don't remember. He has over 20 books. Oh, it's ridiculous. (laughs) I've read so many of them, but I don't remember which one it was at the conference that I, that I ended up buying. But I bought one and I was like, oh my gosh, is this, is this who I was just in the presence of? And then now I like have consumed so much of his content. It's absurd. Yeah. Sorry. And he, no, there was something, you know, one thing that he said in this episode, in this conversation really resonated with a lot of what you were talking about as well, just around when you are doing something that requires so many different steps. I think people talk about writer's block, for example, and so much of marketing is writing and putting together coffee and all of that good stuff. And the question that this interviewer asked was, like, how do you get inspiration continuously and in a way that's consistent? And, you know, all of these insights. And he just talks about you know, the relationship between like publishing your work and then also having a lot of creativity. And he said he publishes, you know, a blog 
uh, post every single day. And so I think he almost mm -hmm. sees it as a muscle. And yep. there are a lot of things that you referenced and what you were talking about that really closely relates to that. And so for you, what has it been like for so long producing at, at such a high level? And like, are there days where you're like, holy shit, like, I don't want to show up today. Like, what does what does that yeah. look like for for how I do work? So what's mm -hmm. your approach to consistency and, and showing up? Yeah, um, those, that's a really good question. And it's something that I, you know, going back to talking about how this is the first like break I've had in a long time, I historically have tended, I, I have tended to put too much on my plate to the point that like, even if I was say burnt out, like from copywriting, I'm like, oh, there's something else that I can do that's like a little bit more mind numbing at least. I'll just go through some data, you know, for example. But that's not necessarily the best thing. Like, I think I've had to get better about actually taking like concentrated breaks. But I do agree with the idea that creativity and like, I think growth is very much a discipline and it's a byproduct of like doing something, even if it's not every single day. Because like, please take days off. I am like right. such, I'm actually very much a proponent of like, chilling out and giving yourself space but at least having the the discipline of like having an intention to do something because I think that's where people get lost when they're not sure where what where to start or what to do for me I like never have that issue I've always got a to-do list and because there's so many moving parts especially as like we're growing a startup there's so many things that I could be doing that it's like mm -hmm. there's never really there's no lack of like stuff so I can be productive in ways that aren't necessarily the most like engaging for me, but I'm still moving the needle a little bit. Yeah, that's like my biggest piece of advice is like, of course, rest when you need to, but, you know, still take baby steps whenever you can. They don't always have to be like, productivity doesn't always have to look like I got this huge blog post out every day this week or whatever it is. It's like, if you cleaned a list, if you, you know something small if you like redid the copy of one web page like that's good sometimes and mm -hmm. it doesn't also have to be like this huge announcement for people sometimes a lot of the work that marketers do people don't notice mm -hmm. i could spend like three days pouring over the copy of a web page that like nobody cares <laughs> that much about <laughs> sometimes you have to check in with yourself and be like okay how much do people really care but yeah uh for me it's just a discipline of like being committed to growth in some capacity and never kind of losing sight of that because you know one or two days off is one thing but then like a month of neglecting your to-do list is another as i'm sure you know mm -hmm. yeah thanks so much for sharing your story vanessa um yeah no it was honest pleasure and um, one of the last questions that i'd love to ask is what is one thing happening in your industry right now that you are currently obsessed about Ooh. Oh, wait, marketing or gifting? It's kind of tricky. Let's do, let's do one of each. Okay, so for gifting, one of my like big goals for, for like the next year or so is to do everything that we're doing a little bit more sustainably, like for the environment. Mm -hmm. So Christmas really opened my eyes to like the amount of products that we were getting in that were just like wrapped in plastic for no reason and right. stuff. Um, so that's something that I'm really interested in just as a business owner is like, how do we cut down on that a little bit um so that's going to look at you know for for the packaging that we use it's not a big deal but it's more the suppliers that we work with is like and I don't know how much of that I can change realistically but that's something that's like been in my head since December now because I've just been seeing so much plastic every day from a marketing perspective oh I'm such a nerd about marketing it's all really interesting to me but I like love love email marketing and we haven't really had a chance to do it too too much on the gift better side of things but like building out funnels and I think that within the next year as we drill down on our ideal b2b customer we'll be able to do more of that um but right now I'm really obsessed with choosing an automation platform for the business <laughs> um we use HubSpot and we use MailChimp and it's kind of back and forth because they both serve different purposes and they're kind of flex we're flexing in and out because of costs and our as our list grows and things like that but yeah these are things that live rent free in my head <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you cl 
closed your eyes while you're doing that. I'm like, you're probably dreaming about different automation tools. I really do. It's sad. Yeah. The amount of people that I haven't talked to in like a year that I reach out to on LinkedIn, I'm like, what are you using for uh, email these days? They're like, go away, you weirdo. But (laughs) that's me. That's where I'm at. Email marketing and sustainable packaging. Very cool. Yes. Very cool. And I think there was one thing that I saw, I was working with a client and something just even in terms of suppliers that you work with and people that you decide to partner with, there was something that she put into the RFP around, for her, the focus was diversity and inclusion. So having the company, you know, whenever they submit their proposal, really outline like what they are focused Mm. on and what they're committed to. And so even if it's screening, partners that you're working with, suppliers of like, how are you incorporating this into, you know, your whole supply chain? Because there's so many decisions that go into, into packaging and all of that. But I saw pictures of what, you know, the post office looked like and it's wild uh, the amount of packages that are being shipped during this time. So everything makes a huge difference. It really does. It's really crazy. I can't imagine, like, I mean, I've worked retail before, too, and I guess I just wasn't really conscious of it back then, about, all like, all the plastic and just paper that things come in. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love working. We get to work with a lot of local businesses with Gift Better Co. So we have, like, a little bit more control as far as, like, we can pick things up so you don't have to worry about boxing it up and shipping it to us and right. stuff. It's just when stuff comes from overseas, it's a little tricky. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking for... I'm looking forward to rather cleaning that up a little bit in the next year or so. That's that's your world. Like weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I, I can't wait to continue to watch your journey as you build thank this you. company and as you um, just like p- continue to post pictures of your baby online. Like it's, <laughs> it's all very much welcomed. And thank you for everyone for listening to this episode of The Power of Why with Vanessa Griffiths. Everywhere that you can find her online, I'll have in the show notes. So make sure to connect with her and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please drop us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get this podcast out to more people. We really, really appreciate it. And to share it with your networks as well, the more people that learn about the importance of thinking for yourself and getting clear about who you are, the better. We publish new episodes of the podcast every Thursday at noon. And until then, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have a great week ahead.